it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. All right, welcome to another edition of the Prospects Baseball Show. This is episode 15. My name is Dean Millard and the head coach and Assistant GM of the Eminent Prospects, Jordan Blundell, joins me as usual. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing really good, Dino. How are you doing, man? I am awesome. Uh, really looking forward to this show. Um, we are going to talk about the waiting game that you guys are in right now. We're going to speak with John Short, Edmonton sports media legend. Has seen a lot of baseball, including your team this year. So he's going to drop by for a chat. Uh, we are going to talk uh, some fantasy baseball because we're heading into the playoffs. Playoffs? Playoffs, and both of us are in, uh, by the skin of my teeth anyway. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the show, I I have to ask you, how good was Bruce Dickinson on Friday night? Oh, dude. And the legend of Iron <laughs> Megan, yeah. legacy of the beast. Yeah, dude, that was awesome. Uh, run to the hills at the end in the encore. like Aces high yeah, in the beginning uh, with the Churchill speech. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And like, I'm not the hugest Iron Maiden fan. There's some songs that I've been listening to for 20 plus years. Um, I love the band. Like Metallica is probably my favorite, but I love the band. And I knew I'd heard that they put on a great show. They did not disappoint. It was a great show. Yeah. Third time I've seen him. It's unfortunate you're a Metallica fan and this show is going to have to end now. (laughs) First, you drop Mike Fires. Then you put uh, Knuckleballer, uh, R.A. Dickey in your top five uh, pitching staff. And now I find out you're a Metallica fan. Oh, Oh, my God. Uh, The the great thing about uh, Maiden, they formed in 1975. That's the year I was born. And uh, this is a band that's going strong. Bruce Dickinson has the same birthday as my wife and Sidney Crosby. That's a pretty good trifecta, man. It's crazy they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Isn't that insane? And their show is great. I've never been closer to a stage in my life than that show. We were row five. We were right in front of us. And the guitarist, uh, so Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson left in the 80s. Then they came back. And the guitarist that they had replaced him with, they were like, we like this guy so much, we're just keeping him. Because they have three guitarists and a bassist. He was the most entertaining stage show this guitarist was awesome. Yeah, Bruce you're did. right by where he had the, yeah. the leg up the whole time. The leg up the yeah. whole time. Like, yeah. I can't do that once. He was doing it about 20 <laughs> times. He was swinging the camera or the the guitar around his neck, and then Bruce Dickinson just puts on a good show. So yeah. uh, I'm glad you got to see them because they do put on a, a great show. And who knows when they're going to uh, yeah. stop touring. Yeah, Bruce that, Dickinson. And that's why I wanted to see him. I don't know how many more of these are they doing, right? Right, yeah. Bruce Dickinson. But is he did allude to some legend. new music coming out. Yeah, he out, did, so yeah. There'll be another one. And they played so many hits that night. It yeah, was, was great. Uh, it was great to be that close. So uh, good stuff. All right. Uh, now that we've got the Iron Maiden talk out of the way, let's go around the horn. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. So you guys have been patiently waiting. Um, a lot more patient than I have been. I've been impatiently waiting for this, but it uh, sounds like... It's Decision Tuesday. Sounds like an election or something like that. <laughs> is Patiently Waiting an Oasis song? Like, is it? Like, I don't know. Like we're kind of talking some music here. Uh, I feel after like... Oasis said they were bigger than the Beatles, I had no use for them. <laughs> yeah, we are patiently waiting. Um, 
yeah the, the, that's all the, that's all you can describe it as uh you know we got to the end of the month um we were we were told we'll, we'll hear something tuesday uh, morning um very hopeful uh yeah there, there's a part of it that that sucks just because you don't know what's going on uh, a little bit of life is on hold like i want to get on the phone and recruit totally there's some there's some business out there that um as i was the head coach but the you know, I do wear a different hat. So some of the summer with conversations and potential sweet holders and this and these ideas are Business. 365, yeah. you know, it's all year round. And there's a couple of interesting things I'd like to pursue on that and that I'm on hold right now for. And then so, so is Ryan. Ryan uh, does a great job for us. He's kind of our quarterback in sales or the closer or, you know, whatever sports analogy. Ryan's done a great job with that. And then he's in the same boat. There's things that he'd like to do and start doing and get done wrapped up that we just can't do right now. Dino. Yeah. That's uh, uh hopefully you'll have good news tomorrow. Yes. Uh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us on the show, uh, very easy to do at prospects pod on Twitter at Jordan Glendell four. If you want to, uh, Tell Jordan to uh, be more aggressive on the base pass than he was this past year, which <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure it's humanly it. possible. <laughs> you could chirp Jordan about his uh, managerial decisions yeah, or putting R. A. Dickey in his uh, top five pitchers uh, staff of all 2012 time. 2012 R. A. Dickey. <laughs> <laughs> you can get me on Twitter at Duck Millard, and of course, for everything about the team, make sure you're following at EDM Prospects uh, Prospects Baseball Club. Uh, you could follow the uh, Edmonton Prospects at uh, Prospects Baseball Club on Twitter or on Instagram at Prospects Baseball Show on Facebook at Prospects Baseball Show. You can email us prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com and uh, check out the websites at prospectsbaseballshow.ca and at prospectsbaseballclub.ca. Uh, yeah, your Twitter handle is EDM Prospects. The website is uh, prospectsbaseballclub.ca. Uh, .ca. So that's how you can uh, get in touch with us. And uh, yeah, it, it, is there, are there things you're be able to creep forward with as you've been waiting, um, you know, almost like tentatively, like, Hey, the caveat is we'd like to do this, but we have to wait for the city. <laughs> yeah, is that we, the way for sure. Been? For sure. And, and I've had those discussions, uh, it, like broach the subject, not much further than that. So um, I sent a message out to a uh, uh, coach. I know that uh, down in the U.S. That, that is with a new program, which he used to be with a few years back. So an old program he was with, he's just rejoined. I sent him a message this morning about some players, you know, holiday Monday kind of thing. If, when the idea creeps in or it's like, hey, I want to look into this particular pro player or program, it's like, I'm let's send the message right now. Yeah. So At I least the open message. the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it progresses. It's not like I need to hear back right away. So just... Hey, I'm thinking about you. Congrats on the new, the new old gig. And I wanted to talk to you about a couple of guys. So yeah, I mean, you, you just the, 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 the initial part, the kindling of the fire perhaps, uh, but we'd like to be a little further down the line. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you, you know, nine Oh one tomorrow yeah, morning, you, know, you find <laughs> out or something, right. And well, you can that, start getting on the horn. That's part of it too. It's like, you, you know, when do we start texting each other saying, Hey, did you hear, did yeah, you hear you? Right, did you yeah. hear you? And it's like, you waited out, just be patient at that. At this point, what's another 12 hours or 14 hours? So I guess so. We'll see. All right. Yesterday, I was calling uh, the Edmonton Huskies and Saskatoon Hilltops game, and uh, my phone, I just have it out, and uh, all these alerts come coming in, the no-no watch. Yeah. And I love hearing that. I, I do not believe in a no-hitter curse. Now, if I was 
a teammate of a guy throwing a no-hitter, I wouldn't go up and say anything to him because that can actually, I think, affect a pitcher if you if you start doing that. But being a radio guy or being a TV guy, being a play-by-play guy, even when you're calling a no-hitter, uh, attention, folks, I don't know if you don't know this or not, it has nothing to do with it. I don't know if you believe in the uh, curse of spoiling a no-hitter. Now, I think going up to a goalie or a, or a pitcher and saying something to them about it directly is not good. But just throwing it out there in the universe has no effect. And I proved it yesterday because Justin Verlander <laughs> was on my fantasy team. I talked about the no-hitter. Yeah, you had I a tweeted vested interest. Yeah, I had a vested interest, and he <laughs> still got the no-hitter. So there's no such thing as uh, cursing a no-hitter or a shutout. Having said that, it was masterful watching oh. him. Uh, you know, he walked the one guy in, the, I think, the first inning yeah. and then just mowed every down. And I didn't watch it live. I watched it later on the, the Jays in 30, which is awesome. Um, it was masterful. It was just, it was, it was watching, you know, one of the best pitchers of his generation just paint a masterpiece. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, and he was able to get some calls because he had command of, of the very edge of things getting called. And, that, that, and he's a veteran. And he's a veteran. And, uh, the stuff was good the whole game. You know, he spotted everything up. Uh, I, I agree with the Buck and Tabby we're talking about. They felt like the home plate guy did a really good job. And I agree. I thought it was a really good job. Yeah, I watched most of the game. That's a good take by the home broadcast team. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought it was a good job. Like mm-hmm. some of the, like, you know, is that like the borderline, that curveball that on the stat track looks like it's, you know, landed just outside. He's got a little hook in it. Um, it doesn't matter. He had great stuff. Yeah. And speaking to talking about shutouts and no hitters, um, if that's going on in my dugout, I'm definitely not saying anything. Um, That's right, yeah. We got no hit in Weyburn this summer. Uh And I didn't even realize it was happening. Uh, And then it was kind of like the eighth, ninth inning. I'm like, hey, somebody break this up. Like I didn't realize it was happening. The guy was just dominant. I was kind of watching him like dominate. Uh, The next day, do you know, this this is part of the funny part. The next day... It was game three of that series, and uh, it was like the second, third, or fourth inning. We still didn't have a hit. So you guys had gone like twelve, yeah, uh, almost twelve innings. It now. was it was it was a little bit too long, and so I started coming in. I'm like, hey, get you got to get a hit. Somebody got to break this up. Just somebody take your shoes, put them on the other feet. Get your hat, flip them backwards. Dying get, take quail. Take your socks Texas off. Texas leaguer. Somebody got to do something. Let's go. Figure it out, fellas. Let's go. And we we're having fun with it, and then we were able to get get ahead, and we won that game. So, uh, as a goalie. I'm not talking shout out. Sure. But if, if I were in your shoes and I was broadcasting a game, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're describing what's happening in the game. I used to on radio, the, the Oilers would be playing. We would be on the air and then we'd be waiting for the uh, game to end and do the post game show. And I'd be like, by the way, Cam Talbot has a shutout. And then it would get broken. And people legitimately lost their minds on me in the text message. Like, like calling me names <laughs> that you would maybe reserve for like a you know, a serial predator or something. It was ridiculous how bad people, mad people got. I'm like, I can't believe you think that I actually had something to do with it. It is so, yeah. Were you in Fort Mac last year when you, your guy threw the perfect game? I wasn't there. I was following it online and, and (laughs) yeah, perfect game, man. Like unbelievable. Just to be part of that. I I can only imagine. Like I wasn't there. It would have been awesome. If we'd have done that in Edmonton, how cool that would have been on on one of those huge games where it's, You know, opening, I imagine 3,000 Canada yeah. Day, something cool like that happened. Yeah, no hitters are rare. I've yeah. only thrown one of them in my life. It was <laughs> Stratomatic. Uh, Stratomatic baseball, <laughs> Oral Hershiser. 
uh, threw a no hitter for me against one of my best friends. So it was great. It was yeah. uh, it was a great accomplishment by me to to roll the dice and flip the cards and. He threw a. Uh... Just felt special, probably the morning. The yeah. morning of it, just something <laughs> felt different. Today. You know what I want to do? I, how's your relationship with umpires? You like umpires? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Okay. I, I, I've got a professional relationship. Okay. I, I, I have a personal relationship with a lot of guys here because I've known them for so long. Like if I see them on the street, hey, how you doing? Okay. With, whatever when we're in the game you know at the plate meeting there's there's a professional and a prof and a personal relationship kind of rolled into one as the game progresses if i need to discuss something the level of my relationship with the umpire will uh, help dictate how sure. i approach talking to this person here's my take on i being a manager and and with umpires in general with guys that i don't know across the league is we we need to have a working relationship um, I respect the job you're doing. I'm hopeful that they respect what my job is, which is to put a good product on the field and manage my ball club. At times, they're, they don't respect what my job is. That's when I get upset and, and more frustrated at something. And I'll give you an example. So if, if I don't agree with something or I need to go get a clarification on what was seen, um, what, what frustrates me as a manager is when I'm told by the umpire what happened as if i didn't see what happened and, and to me it just it's just so i don't understand like why do you think i came out to talk to you obviously i've seen it differently you don't need to try and convince me of how you saw it that's not what i'm looking for i'm looking to have a discussion on what we saw and how we saw it maybe your positioning wasn't as acceptable as i'd like maybe you were in the right position maybe i'm totally wrong I just want to have a conversation because I'm trying to learn you as a guy that we've never worked a game together. Mm -hmm. um, what really gets me, Dino, is when I'm told by an umpire what happened. And, and like, dude, you, you didn't understand why I came out here in the first place. Obviously, I don't agree with your version of what happened. Okay, because I want to get it. I'd like to have an umpire come on this yeah. show and we can talk. Because one of the things I want to ask an umpire is, uh, you know, and hopefully they would have an experience, but it's rare. How does an umpire act during a no hitter like does that ever get in the guy's head and think okay we saw jim joyce right yeah. with uh galaraga in detroit and the no the uh, no hitter uh, i think it was a perfect game I, I, that was wiped like, out miguel cabrera what are you doing going for a ball that far for range anyway but the, so we saw that reaction right yeah. i wonder if the home plate umpire during a no hitter if it changes how we like, was that no? Was that umpire yesterday looking up in the sixth inning, going, "Oh, he knows." Verlander has a no hitter. Oh, I'm going to give him the calls. I, I want to be part of history. I, I'm not saying an umpire would do. I'm just wondering. Does it? Does it subconsciously change how that guy calls the game when there's a no hitter going on? Thinking if there's anything close, I'm going to give it to him because I don't want to be called out. Well, I, just, uh, I just wonder. Yeah, yeah, I mean, us bringing on an umpire, I'm sure they'll say, no, it doesn't change. They call every pitch. I would like, hope so, yeah. I, but we're human. How could it not? How You're could it human. Not? Like, there was a... There was well, I a, guess there are robotic umpires now. <laughs> they're coming. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a curveball, I think it was in the ninth inning. It was a touch in, like, by a touch, I mean, a hair lash uh, on the on the broadcast right. tracker. Curveball, and, and it had a little bit of slurve in it, so it was coming into a lefty from a right-hand pitcher. On TV, it's showing that it, it just missed. Mm -hmm. In real life, I don't think it just missed. It flirted with the black in the ninth inning That's of a no-hitter. Yeah. 
You, yeah. like, it's a strike. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I watched the Padres-Dodgers the other day. Justin Turner got kicked out for arguing, uh, and he got suspended. And uh, I'm like, dude, that was close enough. Mm. That you, if it's if it's that close and that crucial of a of a time, you got to get something on it. Yeah, you got fouled off. That's that's the. I think I look at it that if it's going to be that close, and it was close, and I think probably when he would have looked at it the next day and said, "Okay, I got should have got my bat on it." But anyway, yeah. Uh, let's talk about some other uh, really great news, and that's Carlos Carrasco rejoins the tribe after beating uh, leukemia. Yeah. The, the Cleveland Indians uh, activating the right hander, and um, listen, um, you know. Comeback stories are awesome. I still remember Saku Koivo's uh, return. Um, that's, my wife has beaten cancer twice, so I know what that feeling is like. Um, um, you know, to beat cancer is one thing. To beat cancer and then resume your career as a professional athlete is just an awesome story. And yeah. a, and it's a great motivation for any young kids out there that are diagnosed with leukemia. This guy did it. I can try to do it too, right? You no, know, no, special moment yesterday. It was cool to see the the Tampa Tampa bench stand yeah, up, get in front fans, of the dugout. Yeah, like yeah. It, that. That's a life moment. That's that right. Ha- bigger happened, than baseball, right? Happened to happen in baseball, and and you know what, honestly, man, like baseball's in the recent memory um, has really done a good job of um, allowing the moment to happen and and just appreciating it for for it being bigger than the game. And just giving it its due course and its time, and the game becomes a little bit secondary. And, and the thought behind that is, we'll play this game when it's time here. You know, so it, it's not staged. It it just that's the way it played out. I really love baseball for that. And every everybody inside the game that recognizes those opportunities to salute a life moment uh, that just happens to be involved in a baseball game. Yeah, very much so. So good stuff for. Uh, Carlos Carrasco uh, rejoining the Cleveland Indians. And uh, this has been uh, Around the Horn. Ah, memories. Tell us your best baseball story, and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. Okay, so Baseball Memories today is uh, taking me back to the uh, mid-80s. I used to go uh, in Manitoba. I grew up, and we had uh, friends in uh, northern Manitoba, a place called Bozeman, just outside of Swan River. And I would go up there for like two, three weeks, sometimes a month, and just hang out on the farm. Uh, I did not like having to get up at 6 in the morning to do chores every day in my summer holidays, but I liked a lot of the other stuff that I did. We had so much room. We played all these baseball games outside. But we also stayed inside and would play RBI Baseball. And it was the first one, RBI Baseball 87 for the Nintendo. Uh, I have the old, or the, those new Nintendos where they have like 60 games or whatever. Uh, I wish it was on there. But we played that at night for hours. You had all the teams. You had an American League All-Star team. You had a National League All-Star team. We would have tournaments. Okay. We would all pick, like, there was uh, three of us. So we would pick two teams each, and we would have turn round robin. Like, we played for hours. And it was cool because it was one of the first games with actual players' name, real players' names on them. Like we played a game, we talked about bases loaded, a different game. It was cool. You could do a lot more things that you could do in RBI baseball, but this had the players' names on it. And uh, I remember I was St. Louis a lot of times because they were so fast. Um, the you know, don't tell Jack Cookson from Pro Am Sports this, but I was the Tigers every once in a while because they had some pretty good uh, <laughs> power. Uh, but there was, it was just so fun to um, 
play a game knowing there were real players like Roger Clemens was just dominant and things like that. So uh, that's my kind of, uh, that's my memory today, uh, playing the very first RBI baseball game for hours, knowing that, you know, this is Vince Coleman. I can watch him on TV, uh, you know, later today. That's a, that's cool memory. You know, we need to maybe rank these, uh, awesome baseball video games next week on the on the podcast oh you know all-time team next week is going to be all-time baseball video games yeah. that's a really good point we'll i like do, it you want to do top five well top let, let's discuss because yeah we, see I, how deep I can't we can make go this decision on okay this we'll, we'll discuss through the week next <laughs> week we will be yeah. ranking yeah. Uh, the top video games yeah. when it comes to baseball so if, if you want to get in on the mix Send us your rankings now. Uh, email us prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. And maybe we'll uh, we'll dig up a little uh, prospects uh, prize package uh, for you. I, we got a couple of things that we can throw in. Okay, here it is. Email us prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Uh, for all-time team next week, uh, we're going to do video games. We'll get you a, a prize pack of some variety. I like that idea. What's your memory today? You know what? Uh MVP 2005, uh, when this came out, it was kind of the, this was the first Madden type baseball game where you had some other games inside the game. Oh, like and other was, things you could do. Yeah. And there was a hitting game and it had ramps and, and you, you, you'd hit the ball and it would hit this ramp and it would go up further and <laughs> what? It, it maybe sounded a little corny, but man, we spent tons of time on this hours of playing the hit game to get the most points and we would have tournaments we would have head-to-head -head matches who's doing the dishes based on the hit game beautiful yeah, like that was um that was a lot of my life back then so that would have been probably oh five oh six oh seven we you, you play that game even into the the new iterations of the game you know we'll still put 2005 in to play the hit game and whatnot so that was kind of the first foray in for baseball into uh, like that secondary game within the game market. I love playing that. It was MVP 2005. That's uh, that's really cool when you get to do, yeah, now all the games have home, hitting home run derby, things like that. The MLB, the show, uh, right now is the best game uh, I've played for baseball. Now, I haven't played a baseball game in a long time other than this one, but the fact that you can you know try to win the World Series once, um, you can just play any old game, you can do your whole franchise and like dynasty. So, you know, I could own the Dodgers for the next 20 years and just crush Jack Cookson's <laughs> San Francisco Giants. Or you could do the road to the show, which is the coolest thing. Yeah. You make your, like I have a imaginary son named Gus that is a, uh, on, on his Tearing way up, up uh, in, double the, a. in major league. Yeah. That it's the cool. It's all those extras yeah. that, uh, that, uh, certainly come around, come, uh, along, uh, with it. So, um, you could send us your baseball memories. Uh, we don't have a prize package uh, for this one anymore because that was the suite. We will uh, hopefully be doing something uh, again next year with that. But uh, send us your baseball memories if you would like. And on the uh, other side of this interlude, we will welcome in a media legend here in Edmonton. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Very excited to uh, welcome to the studio here, uh, which uh, we call the Marsh out here in Podcast Alley, uh -huh. 
Um, sports radio Edmonton legend John Short. Uh, John, thank you so much for uh, making the trek out to St. Albert. Um, you know, when, when I started doing these podcasts and I wanted to get different people uh, from the Edmonton area on, you were right at the top of the list, and I'm glad we could combine uh, baseball and uh, you being here. So thanks so much for coming out, John. Well, the chance to talk baseball on Labor Day, we're only a very short time now from the World Series and other playoffs, so it's an exciting time for me. It is, uh, just as a side note, I think fall is the best time of the year. It's either fall or spring. Uh, you know, spring, you've got obviously hockey playoffs, the Masters, um, uh, baseball is starting, uh, basketball is starting. But the fall, when you combine uh, the NFL, CFL gets going, and most importantly, Major League Baseball, and then the start of the NBA, uh, the uh, NHL, the U.S. Open. But baseball playoffs, that puts it over the top for me for the fall. What about you, John? Well, you may know I grew up in, I spent a lot of my childhood in Detroit. Right. I grew, I grew up as a Tigers fan. And the most significant day of the year was day one of the World Series. We're getting close to that. You know, you just made one guy in Edmonton in particular very happy, and that's Jack Cookson from Pro-Am Sports, who <laughs> texts me relentlessly. He's a, he's, he texts me like Nolan Baumgar- or, uh, uh, Baumgartner um, uh, World Series rings and... Um, he loves the Tigers. Uh, I, I talk about Kirk Gibson a lot with the Dodgers, and he repeatedly refers to me as Gibson being a Tiger and, and, and not he a was. Dodger. And he was. Yeah. He was a Tiger first and a Tiger better, apart from that one magic home run. Right, but for, for you and I, Jordan, Kirk Gibson is a Dodger He's because a Dodger. of 88. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's Yeah, well, you that's guys so prove that nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we got well, that out yeah, of the way early. That, that's right. And listen, I have, I have no response when somebody <laughs> sends me a Bumgarner pitcher with a World Series ring, other than to say... It's too bad he has that bad haircut. So that's the only <laughs> response I have. Um, all right, before quickly before we get into baseball, everybody that comes into this studio, we get them to get a picture with Wayne Gretzky. And as you were getting your picture, I want you to tell the cool story about Wayne Gretzky arriving in town and you being one of the few guys there to meet him. Well, I, I was not one of the few. I was it. <laughs> you were the only guy. <laughs> I, I met the. I, I was the Oilers public relations director. Uh, we could talk about my job, my work for Pocklington, but I'd rather not. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, terrible weather. He flew in in terrible weather from Indianapolis. And the the brass, Pocklington, Sather, Larry Gordon was general manager then. They all were all were prepared for the big early morning news uh, newscast or, or uh, news conference that was already set up. Somebody had to wait for the plane. Guess who got elected to stand in the rain? Eddie Meal, Peter Driscoll, and Gretzky get off. And as I've said, I learned more about Wayne Gretzky in that first minute and a half than all the rest of the time he was here. Because immediately you say to Eddie Meal, who was a high, strong, emotional goaltender, Eddie, geez, that's a tough flight. You got to play tomorrow. Do you feel like you can play tomorrow? God, I don't know. It was a tough flight. He played. <laughs> Peter Driscoll, tough guy who would go through a wall, say that wants me to play, I'll play. End of story. Wayne, 17 years old, built like a toothpick. Wayne, what about you? you I know you don't like to, he'd already told me he didn't like to fly. I said, you don't like to fly. You get through this. You got to get here. You got to play tomorrow. How'll that be for you? I didn't fly through that crap to watch a hockey game. <laughs> he was going to play no matter he what. He was going right? to play no matter what. And, and he did that. It's a long story, but w for years we traveled after, and Wayne would, 
used with the, the magic bags in the, on the bad flights. And you think, oh, he'll never play. And he'd get two goals in the first period. <laughs> he, a tough guy. Mentally as tough as anybody I ever saw. Yeah, the, uh, you know, better on uh, better sick than uh, most players uh, yeah. healthy. Yeah. Um, Jordan, I didn't grow up in uh, in Edmonton, but you did. And you, you grew up listening to this man. Yeah. What was it like to have John Short around uh, the Edmonton prospects? Oh, it was, a, it was a privilege. It was a real treat to have uh, John Short, the name, but also get to know, the, know him as a person and, and get to know him uh, through through the lens of baseball, which is not something that I had the opportunity of doing growing up. You knew John Short as the sports guy. You know, mm-hmm. anything and everything, let's, let's hear what you have to say and broach a bunch of different subjects, which was always the interesting part of it. And to, to get really locked in and zeroed in on this sport and get to kind of kick it back and forth and have John ask questions. And um, it, it was just, I've, I've got so much respect for him that it was, it was cool that I was being interviewed and asked questions similar to the great one, you know, mm-hmm. similar to John's looking for some information and a story. And um, I get the opportunity to talk to him about it. So, I mean, that that's one of the cool things about this job, which was, what I knew potentially was going to happen, becoming the manager of the ball club, and and that's that's why it felt surreal uh, when it was announced or when it became came to fruition that it was going to happen in middle October. There, mm-hmm. there was a surreal feeling because I know what that ballpark means to the city. Uh, it, it means something to me because I grew up with it, and then you know to get to deal with John and get to get in the community and and all those cool things that are attached to it. That's what's like. I can't believe this is going to happen. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, all right, so John, that, that that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this: um, I, I got to work in the same time slot that you used to work at uh, the, the night time slot. I was yeah. nine to midnight, um, and and I'll, uh, for for you, I don't know what it was like, but it's a different breed at night than it is during the day, especially you know if the Oilers uh, crap the bed or something <laughs> like that. But uh, they never do. You know, never. No. But it was, uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, time slot, that, that night time slot, isn't yeah, well, it? Well, before you even agree that you're going to start to work at 9 o'clock at night, you pretty well establish that your elevator's broken. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Okay, so on Twitter, uh, you can follow John at John Short underscore JXS. You recently put out a tweet about possibly uh, Spruce Grove uh, being uh, uh, something involved with the Western Canadian Baseball League. Um, uh, what, what, what? Can you expand on that a little bit uh, of what you're hearing well, or what might happen? Well, other than than the the, the rumor, um, we know that there's a distinct possibility, uh, and and I know that uh, I'm not connected with any of the inside. But I do know that uh, if it's necessary, there will be a team in Spruce Grove in a year or two. And I'm really hoping that it isn't the prospect. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that if it is the prospect, they will become the northern equivalent of the Okotoks Dogs. And they'll be successful in a a small sports mad market. Mm -hmm. And I think that will be a big positive. Well, we had John Urcandia, um, the managing director of the Okotoks Dogs, on this program, and he told us exactly that story. That's that's exactly what happened. And uh, Jordan, as we talked about earlier, um, news will come out tomorrow, and then there's uh, hopefully that month-long, I believe, uh, uh, negotiating period. Uh, has this been a nervous weekend for you guys? 
yeah, you know, it, <clears throat> it's out of our control. It, it, and for me personally, I'll speak to to my personal uh, experience with this the last couple of weeks and, and getting to this point. You know, we're, we're a day away. For me personally, um, th- there's there's a lot of uncertainty attached to it. Um, you know, probably when I was a little bit younger, there would be more stress attached to things that I sure. couldn't control. Um, which I'm thankful. I think I've grown up a little bit. I'm not that mature, but um, I've grown up enough to know that whatever happens is going to happen, and it 100% is out of my control. Um, the reason I feel like that, Dino and, and John, is we, since I've been a part of the organization, which is two years, uh, two years in the front office, one year on the field, um, two years ago we were we were working really hard to save the ballpark, the crown jewel of the River Valley. Uh, there were some questions whether that ballpark would even be here after this lease. Uh, so we spent a, a ton of our offseason centered around strategies and, and gameplay. How do we engage the city, the people, the, everyone that, that this could mean something to? It might not be here. Um, so we came up with a slogan, Crown Jewel of the River Valley. We went into our gala with that. You know, we had Robbie Alomar in town. We we. we talked to him. We, he knew the whole deal, saw what, what was going on, saw the, the beautiful facility and, you know, wrote a letter. And so that, that, not that Robbie Alomar's letters like, Hey, the city's got to listen to, but, but then we started getting support from other people and, and other people jumping on board. Like, Hey, what's going on here? Um, and with the river crossing, like what a great plan that's going to be it's awesome for the city. And we've always felt and, and wanted to make sure that we got that message out that the ballpark can be a part of that, can be the centerpiece of a great district, you know, a ballpark district, a, a diamond district, ice tree, whatever it is, a district with all these cool amenities. Well, the ballpark's there. And there's so much special, so many special things that happen there that it would be a shame to lose. So we went through that process. Then we get into this year um, with with a lot of uncertainty. But, but frankly, once we got into the season, it, it we're done thinking about it. You know, we have to approach our season and be as successful as we can on and off the field. Uh, so we worked through the season. It's something that never came up with the players. Um, that, that, you know, we may not be here. Uh, it, I got asked a couple times by a couple of the guys that would hear some things. I said, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't really matter to what we're doing right now. And, you know, we talked to a couple guys about it that, that asked some questions and we just moved forward. And, you know, the... The, the coolest thing about our season was at the end of the year when we had so many games and in, in, in no days, you know, we're playing all the time. We had different gates of two and then everybody leaves and then a seven. And we, we, we had different fans at all those games and we were able to have fans at all those games. There was interest. People were jumping on board. People were supporting us. Um, and, and that was special, you know, like it, it's tough to rearrange your life. We got all these new games and daytime this and that, and we still had people show up for it. Um, so that was really cool for me to get to experience from uh, being from Edmonton and mm-hmm. one of the only guys in the organization with all the players and everything that, that's from here that was in the clubhouse that grew up here. Um, so that, that that was special for me to get to see that our guys were able to captivate the crowd and the kids enough that when when push came to shove and we needed more support in weird times, people showed up. And then obviously the the, the seven games in a row – uh, was such a relief to get into the playoffs and then to, to win that home game in game two, the way we were able to win it, scoring three runs in the 10th inning and being a resilient bunch, which we fought and clawed all year, um, was a real, you know, coming 
coming to fruition of what our team was. It's a bunch of ballers that were ready to do it whenever they were told to do it. So uh, for me, it's been a little bit uncertain now since the season. Um, I'm hopeful. You know, we've worked really hard to try and grow this thing. We had 2,000 fans a game. We were up slightly, like 50 or 60 people on average from last year. Um, And and as an optimist, I look at that like, you know, we'd love to be at 2,500. We were just over two, so we're not at our goal yet. But we had, if, if everybody didn't know, we, we had a pretty tough July weather-wise. And, you know. <laughs> and August wasn't great either. Yeah, so, like, the, the walk. <laughs> really, and it, it snowed last September. So, like, are we getting any type of good weather here? Um, but we were able to, I, I feel like our group, which is the guys in that clubhouse, the guys that play the game, were able to continue to establish the smallest relationships with our fans throughout the year by saying hi, throwing balls in the stands, connecting, that when push came to shove at the end of the year, people were showing up for us, not just because it was a Remax field, not just because, hey, there's a baseball game, let's go to a baseball game. It was to see the prospects play in Remax field. So ultimately, if that's my last memory, it's a heck of a memory. I don't want it to be. Um, I'm, I'm excited, hopeful, a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety with what will come of tomorrow. And, and you know, honestly, I'd love to hear John's take on, on what he saw with our organization and what we were able to do in, in the community, like throughout our season on a day-to-day basis to, to, to get, get an outsider's viewpoint on that. That's interesting. I hadn't expected to come at it that way, but that's all right. I think that there are some things that the fans need. To, I, I think they need to know more about who you play. I think it doesn't help much for any minor pro, semi-pro league if you say, we're playing tomorrow. Who are you playing? It doesn't matter. And if you think about it, University does that. The colleges do that. Now you do it. Estevan's coming in. Who? We don't care. The dogs are coming in. We know they're pretty good, but who should we who should we hate in a competitive sense with the dogs? Doesn't matter. It's like the Oilers saying, well, we're playing tomorrow. Doesn't matter who we play. Show up. We mm. won't tell you if it's the, the Canadians or the, the, the Capitals or whoever. Just come and watch us. And that's not enough. And that's a major step that has to be taken. And I know I had conversations with Pat Cassidy, and he understands that. Others in the league, certainly Mr. Acandia understands, that the opposition is at least 45% of the game. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, when I was doing the Pipeline show with Guy Flaming, and uh, uh, the Oil Kings were okay. It was, was before the, the run where they went to the finals three straight years. And we told their marketing department, Market the other team too. Promote that. Now, it's a little bit different with you guys, but they were promoting first-round pick Mark McNeil and the PA Raiders or whatever it might be or, or the opposition. Um, it's, it's you know, you don't have first-round Major League Baseball players in, in your league, but it's... But, it's you, but you know you got a 400-hitter coming in playing with Lethbridge. You want to come and see a legitimate 400-hitter? We got a kid who's pretty good. He's mm-hmm. hitting like 380, but they got a guy hitting 400. And the last time he was in here, he's, he hit two home runs and a double against us. We have to stop him starting Thursday. That conversation has to take place. So what did you think? You've seen a lot of baseball in, in Edmonton, obviously. <laughs> what did you think of uh, the, the caliber, as Jordan pointed out, uh, 
the uh, interaction with the community uh, from his players, especially with the kids uh, and, and the, the, the guys in general. You know, you've seen a lot of baseball and we're going to get into some of that history and this uh, Trapper jersey uh, hanging up here. But what did you think of the Western Canadian Baseball League and, and this incarnation of the Trap or the uh, prospects? Well, I've said many times that, I mean, the prospects are special for me. The, the Trappers were very special for me, but of all the levels of baseball I've covered in Alberta, the old Western Canada Baseball League was the best. And that was a league that had Nelson Bryles pitch here two years before he went to the majors. Tim Cullen played here, went to the majors. Gary Sutherland played second base for another team, but in this league, and he wound up playing for the Expos. They went almost immediately. The quality of that league was better than this. There were more good players coming out of the bigger schools. No disagreement about that and no criticism of the level here. But what I remember, Buffalo Stadium in Calgary, the lights were terrible. We had a guy who later became a major league manager. He left the ballpark one night. He said, I can't watch this. Bryles was throwing a ball like 93, 94, when that was as hard as anybody threw. And this guy said, I can't watch him pitch under these lights. Somebody's going to get killed. I'm sorry, under the lights at Remax Field last year, I often thought somebody was going to get killed. The pitchers are young. They don't throw as hard as Bryles did, but they throw hard. And there were an awful lot of kids got hit with pitches that they just didn't react to. The city has to improve those lights. I understand now they will, and that's about time. Hmm. What about the, the caliber of the baseball this year? Uh, you know, What did you enjoy about being at the ballpark? Being at the ballpark? That was enough. Uh, that's my game. I grew up with that game. I played hooky in the 1940s to listen to a World Series game involving the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs. That's how far back I go. And it's been my game since then. It's the game I grew up with. And I love being at the ballpark. I like being there early. Getting out early was well, getting out early was something I'm not accustomed to. I used to go into the room and talk to the guys. But there were it was a different situation this year. But no, just being at the ballpark. But as for quality, uh, I still think that there were some kids who should sign as minor leaguers, at least outside the, the, the baseball umbrella. Uh, I think Hunter Boyd should be signed day after tomorrow by somebody. He won't be, but he should be. Um, I, think, I think your center fielder, if I were going to recommend to anybody... Travis Hunt. Yeah. I, I, I think you say, go look at him. What does he do? He's got all five, got all five tools. Yeah, he does. He, he, he hits for power. He hits. He plays great defense. Steals. He runs and he throws. That's all you need. Now, the, the one question that every scout would ask is, is he going to hit at a higher level? If he answers that question, he can play at any level in the world. Well, you don't know the answer to that question until he gives, gets given a chance. Anyways, yeah, true. Right? And, and, you know, for me, we saw pretty good velo this year in this league. Uh, you know, it was 87 plus, you know, all year. So, um, we had 90, we had 92, we had 93s. Um, but the velo was, was pretty good. You know, it's, uh, it's not Cape Cod. Uh, we get that. Uh, but we're not that far off. Like we're right there with all the top leagues. So hopefully our league 
garners more respect throughout the scouting world. And there's guys that are in the big leagues that played in the dub. Um, for me, with Travis, um, I absolutely think he should have a shot. And, and, and I love the kid. Uh, personal aside, personal feelings aside, I think he was one of the guys throughout the whole summer that handled the velo all summer. He could handle the velo. He could spin it back. He could go center field. He could rip it down the line. Um, the velo is a, is an issue for every good hitter. It's velo. It's a, there's a reason why it's important. Uh, but Travis had really good at bats against velocity. Was able to adjust to breaking pitches. He hit the best guys in our league. He had good at bats against the best guys in our league on the bump. For me, that's why I think Travis um, hopefully will get an opportunity. That's why if I were a scout and and I'll be sending out information to. Guys in Canada will then relay that to where Travis is in Arizona. Um, that, that he's definitely worth a look, and he has had some looks. There are some people that are aware of him, um, but for me, I would like. There's no doubt, and I've seen some good guys, and I've seen some good guys go play pro and, and play a couple of years of pro. Travis is in that mold. What impressed you about this league this year? Uh, what was the um, was it the fielding, pitching, hitting? Uh, was there one aspect that you re- re- said I'm, I'm maybe surprised? The, the, the competitiveness. The competitiveness, uh, I mean, and they're, it's minor league baseball. You see games that are 11-5 and, and 2-1, and you see all the same variety at this level as you see at the major league level. But what I absolutely loved was to see a kid with the prospects or with one of the opposition teams come up in the ninth inning, trailing by four, two out, and hit a two-run double. All of a sudden, it's a two-run game, and... Both teams are in it. Instead of saying, as you see quite often, oh, it's over. We're down four runs. Why don't we just get out of here and go home? Uh, I, had, I had a lot of nights that I thought the umpires wanted to go home early, but that's, <laughs> but that's another subject. Um, I, I thought that the, the umpiring was, was inconsistent, as you would expect it to be, because they don't get a lot of work at this quality, and, and they need more. But for me, it was the competitiveness. It was I never saw... One kid at any one point dog it on a play. I saw some kids relax at the wrong times. I saw a really good shortstop who didn't look like a good shortstop until he'd played 25 games in this league because he would make a brilliant play in the second inning, and in the fifth inning, he'd kind of wave at a ground ball going into center field. And his name is Ramirez, and he was really special to watch by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. When we look at what's going on right now, hopefully there'll be good news tomorrow um, but the the way this has been handled, you know, the prospects are there. Um, there's this other group that nobody really knows much about other than Randy Gregg's involvement. Um, do you think this has been handled properly, um, or, or do you think there could have been improvements on this? Oh, <laughs> that, that, that opens a door. Um, I think that it's bigger than baseball. I think it's the Edmonton City Council approach to sport. They have had this ballpark neglected forever. Hocklington spent an awful lot of money on that ballpark. When the Eskimos had their ownership of the Trappers briefly, they spent money on that ballpark. And if you go out there game after game, year after year, as I've been lucky enough to do, you see the park deteriorate. Yeah, that's true. Just a little bit every day, a little bit every month, quite a bit every year. I've noticed, I've been here since only 2003, but but even I noticed that uh, being at the ballpark more regularly this year. But city council 
again, doesn't care, has no, that's wrong, John. It, it doesn't prove okay. that it cares about sport at all. We lost Commonwealth Stadium, not Commonwealth Stadium, we lost the, the Northlands Coliseum. Anybody, t and, and now there's a, a ban on the use. If anybody tells me honestly that that entire downtown deal with Rogers Center would have collapsed if City had basically said, that's a non-starter. We are keeping that facility in use for the young citizens of Edmonton. Not a chance it would have collapsed. It was far too big a deal downtown. But City turned its back on it and said, okay, we don't need it. City turned its back on horse racing. We don't need it. And that's not all this council now. This is the, the Edmonton tradition. This city council over years lost Canadian finals rodeo. And I'm not particularly a rodeo fan, but I know how much money that organization, that, that event brought to this community year after year. And the city basically said, well, we can't keep it. It's going to cost us a dollar fifty or something. And that's far too much. We have to spend it on bike lanes. And, and, and that frustrated me. Uh, I remember when track town Canada was labeled, we're going to be track town Canada. Within two years, the, the provincial government withdrew, and immediately the city withdrew, and the city's explanation was, well, it's easy for us to withdraw. We should because the, 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 the province is withdrawn too. We have to save the money. Economy's terrible. But they didn't stop buying or building unnecessary things at that time. It was, if we have to make a sacrifice and give up something, we're going to give up sports. And one day they're going to realize that these facilities in this community are paid for by the people who live here. And that means they're, they're paid for by the parents of the boys and girls who should be using those facilities. And I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, not just this not just this council administration, but several of them have followed through on the same thing. Have any point in being loyal and keeping a promise? Well, no, we're politicians. We don't have to do that. Mm. Well, it's, is, is that. Does that tell you what I think? Well, but the, <laughs> sports has really put this city on the map, on, you know, and it's, it's, you can't argue with that. Obviously, there are other great things about this city other than sports. I'm not saying that, it, but it's sports a one, is a it, reason people know Edmonton in the southern United States. Um, a lot of it has to do with sports. This community is so important to me, I've come back three times. And you, you, and you may know that I've had the opportunity to work other places. Mm -hmm. I had opportunity to work in Vegas, had the opportunity to work in St. Louis. Here I am, happy to be here. Was in Toronto, came back willingly. Was in BC, came back willingly. I love it here. This is my community. But when city council says an essential part of the community just doesn't matter, I lose faith in city council. And that's not a rap at any individual. It's not a rap at the mayor. It's a rap at a philosophy which says, for some reason, sport doesn't matter. We don't need more facilities for high school football. We don't need more facilities for at, at, at uh, colleges and universities. That's all baloney. They need as much as they can get. Uh, we're accused of, ha of, of looking like over-the-hill sports reporters now. All the kids are starting to be as bulbous as we are from, and, and, and that's, it's a truth. But one way to keep them busy is to keep them on a playing field. And there aren't nearly enough playing fields in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, do, do you want to... Uh... Yeah, well, I wanted to, to touch on that, like kind of expand on that, those thoughts, John, and um, you know, based on some of the information that's come out with, with the other potential group that, that's not us, the other group, um, and not a lot of information has come out. And, and you, you spoke to, you know, having enough fields and, and taking care of kids in baseball and all these kind of things. Um, one of the things that's come out is the other group really doesn't have another team or, or a team to put into that facility. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, what would be your thoughts if the city were to award Remax Field to a group that doesn't have a baseball team? I, it, it would confirm everything that I've believed about this city council philosophy for years, that sport doesn't matter. Um, there, there will always be a movement to remove the ballpark. There was a big move, and you know about it, to a big, serious conversation. I was at the conversation, mm -hmm. and they were talking about putting a ballpark up on the site of, of the current Northlands. Well, it would never work. I understand Fresno was willing to come here, and all, all that had to be paid was a lot of money to get the franchise and then build a 25,000-seat ballpark. I know that one of Mr. Cates' significant people was at the meeting because I spoke with him before and after. Uh, the the, the counter-proposal from soccer was, well, we don't need 25,000 seats. We need maybe tw 10 or 12 with the prospect of building as we grow. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Mr. Cates' person said, well, I don't think that, that, uh, that my, my boss would be interesting interested in something as small as that. So there was... A, 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 what do you call it, a, a pie-in-the-sky dream that we were going to get back to AAA baseball. I don't think I don't need AAA baseball. I would love to see the Western Canada Baseball League add some communities. I'd love to see Saskatoon in it. I'd love to see Red Deer in it. The only way you get it is to keep the league here. It, it's very difficult to say, well, we may be moving from Edmonton uh, to Spruce Grove, we moved from Calgary to Okotoks. So all of a sudden, it's there. there's a push to get bigger franchises. No, one day we should have a franchise that runs. It won't run from Vancouver because they're in organized baseball. But their Kelowna would be terrific in a league that went from here to Winnipeg. A couple mm -hmm. of teams here, a couple of teams in Saskatchewan. Uh, Winnipeg and Brandon or Winnipeg and, and, and who knows what. But the, the growth for this league can be profound. Do you think this is the right level for Edmonton? I would like to see us in minor pro ball. I'd like to see us in short season A ball. But if it happens, it evolves. It doesn't automatically have somebody walk in and say, we've now got a building, let's yeah, open the but door. You have to look at that league and, and those seasons as where's the closest teams. That's and right. Those major league teams do not want their players on a bus for 12 hours minimum. No, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but there are there are ways, if, if it became a good idea, you know that the money guys would make it work. Yeah. And and so what you'd like to do is say okay let's let's make a deal, but let's start. Um, uh, how do you do this? I remember talking to 
someone from the Pacific Coast League, and he said that he loved the fact that Calgary and Edmonton were in the league, right? It was important that we be in the league. The only, his only objection was that in the two weeks that the teams were out of the United States and playing in Canada, the, um, the, their crowd, their radio audience fell off badly because they were giving away a couple of hours in, 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 mm -hmm. uh, in time zones and they something wrong with playing sport in Canada. We, we know that the Americans are undereducated under about our sports levels and, and that's our fault. I think that one thing that we have got to improve is for our citizens to understand that when Edmonton has a team, and I, I, I think you've said this best, but Edmonton has a team in, in sport and we're playing against the Americans, all of a sudden, New Haven, Connecticut knows about us. Yale knows about us. Arizona knows about us. And I want to know how many of those people come here. There has to be a dollar value in the number of people who come in here to watch this team or any team play. And, and city council, instead of saying, well, it's inconvenient that we have to keep the ballpark up to snuff, should be saying the ballpark has value. We can do any number of things in that park. I know that, that, that the, the prospects worked really hard to try and find things that would use the facility on the off days. City council should help them with that. City council should say, this is a community facility. There are a whole bunch of things that need to be done downtown. Let's get that whole area familiar. So many people still, I know this because I talked to them, they think that the River Valley should exist only as a refuge. There's enough room down there for quiet walks and dog walks and, and standing around hoping that, that beautiful birds fly over. All those things are distinctly positive, but it's also a living, active part of the community and it needs to be. There will be development down there. Yeah, there should be. Like, if you've ever been to Winnipeg, you've gone to the Forks, and you've seen how they've developed around the river area there. It's uh, it's spectacular. Calgary has Eau Claire Market, and you know it, it really should be developed more. There needs to be more development in the River Valley. Do you want do you want anything more on current day, Jordan? Before we start going back in time. No, let's get back. Let's get back in time. <laughs> All right, so John, you've watched some great baseball. Um, you know, I I got here at the tail end of the the Trappers. I'll always remember the the very end, the final Trapper game got rained out, and and the only highlight was uh, uh, Homer sliding into uh, into home base uh, in the rain, in the mud, yes. in the mud. <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you've seen some amazing baseball. Um, you know. What names stand out to you when you go back in time of, uh, you know, AAA baseball and uh, championships in Edmonton? Well, the one I remember, and I mean, we can throw names at you. Everybody says Ron Kittle. Okay, Ron Kittle was great to be here and nice to talk to him again after all these years. He was a legitimate attraction. Devon White was here. Devon White was amazing. As far as I'm concerned, the best baseball player based on the performance he provided in Edmonton, was a guy named Tim Salmon. Yeah. He was outstanding. He went on and had great years w w in California. But he was the best 
of the best. You wanted to ask him a question, he answered it. You wanted him to spend time with the kids, he did it. You wanted him to show up and do a radio show, he did it. The other thing I like, Joe Simpson, who now is a broadcaster with the Atlanta Braves, used to call my show regularly after games. And he, I told him one day, just conversationally, I said, you know, you should go on radio for a living. Because he was coming to the end oh, of yeah, his career. Yeah. He did. He never sent me any kind of a bonus. Retroactive. But he was great. Craig Simpson, when he used to be on my show, I would say, Craig, you're a natural for television. He's now on television. He didn't send me a bonus either. Yeah. <laughs> so, John... Uh, what, what, as far as Remax Field and John Ducey and, and, and the ballpark's iterations up to now, um, what, what's, what, what's the moment uh, for you down at that facility that really sticks out from, from back in the Trappers days? Is there, is there one moment that um, kind of highlights what the Trappers meant to the city? Yeah, winning. Winning because they were they there were some uh, some impressive uh, championship teams. Just the, you know, oh, this the city of champions was not just Oilers, Eskimos, and I know that was um, given for a different reason. But people think of the Oilers and Eskimos when they think about that. Uh, the, the Trappers were just you know well, they're pretty uh, dominant too. And, and 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 again, great story. They're headed to the playoffs, and Moose Stubing was was one of the colorful, likable managers you ever met in your life. And a good name, too. And, and I know that Moose told his players, they're going on this early in the, early in the year, that he, he knew they were going to be competitive and he knew they had to be in a good place for playoffs. He said to the players, we have to get a split here. And they used to play, I think, six-game series. In, in, in. He said, we have to get a split. You get me three wins. I don't care if I see you again till the plane leaves to go home. <laughs> they got three, they lost two, they won the sixth game, they came home happy and very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, winning does solve some problems for sure. You what know, about the, uh, what about some of the, the, the pitchers that you saw um, you know coming up? I, I'm always when I when I go to baseball, I, I you know home runs are great um, th but I love watching. A uh, really dominant pitcher, like you know, I loved watching Hunter Boyd this year. Like it was just you, you know, you go out there or or a guy, you know. And the reason I'm a, a, a love the Dodgers is Oral Hershiser, right? That guy just got it done, right? So, who are some of the pitchers that you remember coming through Edmonton? Well, again, I, I'm like you. I remember, I remember the pitchers, not necessarily the guys that threw hard. I remember the guys who could could outsmart you. I remember, I remember a guy named. Uh, Jack Lazorko, who couldn't throw the ball any harder than I could throw it, but he could put it anywhere he it wanted. Would, yeah. He used to drive people crazy because he would throw slow, slower, and, and slowest, and you'd think you can't throw it as slowly as that and get it to the plate, but he did, and he, he didn't strike out a lot of people, but he had an awful lot of batters wanting to hit themselves with, with a bat on the way back to the clubhouse. Or the the dressing room. Yeah, no, the, the 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 art of pitching. You know, you can get by with velocity, and and then when you lose the velocity, do you know how to pitch? Um, good good point. Do you know, like Hunter was special to watch. That, that guy is a bulldog. Every time out, he gave you what he had, and he had some good stuff every day. And you know, the the interesting thing about Hunter was 
they were different combinations and sequences that he used throughout the year. Uh, you know, some days his fastball was really good, so he stuck with that. Some days his breaking pitch was a little bit better, he'd go to that. And then some days he'd use his changeup as his number one pitch, so he would he would be changeup dominant, thus making his fastball look even faster. Um, so the art of pitching is really huge. What hitter, John? What uh, other than Tim Salmon being being that all around guy? There's some beauty hitters that played uh, played in Edmonton. You know, going back to the Ron Kittle era, Matt Stairs, Matt Stairs. You know, the uh, <laughs> Gary Desarcine. Like, there's a lot of big league guys. Jim Edmonds was here. Did there, Devon White come through here? Yeah, uh, Devon came, Devon was really exciting. But for me, again, and was Salmon better? I think he was better at the major league level, and he was for me better here. I, I liked mm. I liked Devon as a guy, and I loved what he could do. But the the other the other game that the other name that nobody talks about playing here was a guy named Bichette. Dante. Wow. And now his son Bo, playing Bo, in Toronto. Bo's dad's yeah. played here. And Bo's now uh, <laughs> obviously lighting it up in right. uh, in Toronto. Who you know those guys are great hitters, and and I brought up Devon White because I love to watch Devon White yeah. play because he Whoa. had speed on the base paths. He could track things down. Who or who's the, like the the guy you had the most fun watching, a guy that you know, not not for like home runs, no, just no, that no. For me, you. for me, it's defense. For okay. me, the game, yeah. the game I love is it. pitching and defense. That's why I love Ozzy <laughs> Smith so much. Is uh, his, his wonderful defense. So who who do you love defensively? I watched Dick Schofield Jr. play shortstop here, knowing that he was a major leaguer. He wound up going to the majors a year early because of an injury. Okay. And I believe he never spent the time he needed at AAA learning to hit. He would never became a good hitter. Right. But boy, was he fancy with the glove. What'd you like about him in the in the well, in the six well, hole? There? Well, well, he 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 covered the ground. And I remember we had been talking with a scout who said they really liked a second baseman, part-time second baseman named Cookie Krause. And one of the things they liked about Cookie Krause was his ability to go back on the pop fly. And you know how tough that can be. Here you got Kraus and Schofield, second and short. And immediately that afternoon was one of those nights that a shortstop dreams about. Everything Schofield did was difficult and beautiful, and I'll never forget it. He went back and caught the ball one-handed. He caught one, would have been a Texas League single. He caught it barehanded and doubled a runner off first base. Guy guy got dreaming that it was going to fall in. And, I mean, those plays I'll remember for the rest of my life. Oh, that's beautiful. One thing for sure, the names were a lot better. Uh, <laughs> Cookie and Moose. So your goal for next year is to uh, recruit a player named Moose. Talent doesn't matter. We're going for a name. All-name team. The all-name team. <laughs> yeah. But the names are the, the nicknames were much better uh, than today's nicknames where – you know, if, if Wayne Gretzky was still playing, his nickname might be Gretter by, by today yeah. if he was playing because they just add an ER or an S. or The names were better back in the day. What, uh, you have to understand that the real nicknames we never hear. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that, that is uh, true. I, I've, I've been in the room, and we know that. Yeah, that that is, uh, that is definitely true. Uh, so... Let's just wrap up with your thoughts about, uh, you know, reiterate baseball moving forward. Hopefully there's good news for the prospects tomorrow. And and what you think 
baseball can be to that River Valley and to this city again. What, what do you think, John? Uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it has to be exactly as has been discussed here. Uh, the, the presentation has to be better. And I, I know that Pat Casty's talked about that. I know that Jordan's talked about it. There have to be things done to inform the fans more fully as they come in. A large part of that's telling them who you're going to play and how, how talented some of these guys are. Um, the, the other thing that, that needs to happen is the fans need to start to identify with Edmonton players. And it was happening here. Uh, I know that uh, Jake Gary's got involved in a, in a wonderful exchange of, of, of uh, a, an autograph and, and, and letters, uh, put great notes to, to, to the prospects based on the good things that he'd done with, 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 a, young, with a young fan. But when, when the day comes, I mean, I'm hoping because he, he, Gary's 20, Blahoviak, outfielder, I think is maybe 21. I hope that the kids who were here this year with room to improve will be able to come back next year and improve before they all get drafted by major league teams. <laughs> Very good. All right, John, thank you so much for uh, giving us some time and uh, some history. And uh, let's hope there's good news tomorrow. And uh, we're looking forward to another Edmonton prospect season at uh, Remax Field next year, and we can get the uh, the ball rolling. Thanks so much. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at the, uh, the ballpark uh, or, or sooner, and maybe we'll get you back out here for another conversation on one of my other podcasts. Uh, I'd like that, and thank you for l letting me pose for a picture with, with, with Jordan. <laughs> Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, John. Play ball! Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want jack. two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, trivia time here on the Prospects Baseball Show. And uh, last week's answer, by the way, uh, the franchise began as the Baltimore Orioles in 1901. When did the baseball team in New York change their name to the Yankees? They were the uh, New York Highlanders from 03 to 1912. So they were the Baltimore Orioles, then the New York Highlanders, and then took on the name the Yankees in 1912. 13. Um, interesting that they would start as the Baltimore Orioles. I did not know that, and that's uh, a little bit The weird. Baltimore Orioles of New York? Or they were just, they're just <laughs> in Baltimore. And I don't know. Like the uh, Tampa Bay Devil Rays of Montreal, maybe, yeah, that we or, might or see? Or the, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Of Anaheim, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so anyway, um, we just saw Justin Verlander's no-hitter. Um, Mike Fires is what the last guy before that to have a no-hitter, both on my fantasy teams. Yeah. And I'm still sneaking into the playoffs, as we'll talk about in a second. Which team has never had a no-hitter thrown by a pitcher? There is one team in Major League Baseball that has never watched a pitcher throw a no-hitter. Email us 
prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. That's prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Email us the answer. Uh, we'll reply with the pride uh, that we are uh, sending back to you in uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia. <sighs> it's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. At the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. All right. Um, one of the most important parts of the show now, fantasy baseball. And it's playoff times. Did you make it? Tell I'm, us how uh, it went. Dude, I made it. Like all year, we've been talking about the struggle I was facing uh, in my fantasy baseball league team, and, and it's had a horrible start. Ended up making some really good decisions as the players got hot. I luck, luckily, fortunately for me, the guys that I ended up picking up on the wire ended up producing. I snuck in Dino yesterday was the last week. We're we're in week one of the playoffs. I was the sixth seed, top six make it. First two get a bye this week. Uh, I was I snuck into the six seed last week. So at the start of this week, the last week of fantasy baseball regular season, I was in six. The week started off horribly for me. I think I was three for forty four, something uh, like ridiculously low. Uh, and I was playing the team that's ranked twelfth out of twelve, and I was down. I was down all week until. And for me, fantasy doesn't even start till Saturday. You know, all the numbers end up changing. It changes so, so much, yeah. So we we get get to Friday, and there was a turnaround. I was starting to bridge the gap, and then had a big Saturday, and like this might actually happen. And then we get into yesterday. It's funny. I was sitting on the couch, you know, kind of tracking my fantasy, and uh, in our WhatsApp conversation, somebody had said, "Oh, it looks like you know, Jordo's in the sixth seed, and moving on." And there was still there's still games left. And I was I'm like, dude, you're jinxing my shutout. Oh my God! You, you went there. <laughs> well, the the dude said it looked like I was in. There were still games to be played, and and stats could change. You know? So, do you think those major league baseball players heard him and were like, "Oh, I'm gonna tri- play differently"? Yeah, I thought. Come I on, that's as bad as thinking I blew the, <laughs> the, the shutout. I said, "Hey, hold off. We gotta finish these games." <laughs> that's still. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I ended up getting in. It, it's uh, it feels great. What an accomplishment! Uh, you know, one of the most important things I've done in recent memory was making this uh, fantasy baseball league playoffs from where I started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm glad to be I uh, just wanted to have a chance to fight for the title so that's going to happen and uh, off to a good start this week I picked up uh, in our league there, there's some shrewd moves so Yadier Molina had been released mm-hmm. uh, because of some injuries and some things and well he just came back and ripped the cover and, off and the ball I, this I got, week I got him on the waiver wire as guys are looking to to set up for next year if you're not a playoff team to, for keepers and some young guys yep. so there's some strategy in our league near the end uh, and you might see a good player get released uh, in hopes that one of the younger guys that they pick up, they're going to keep, and he'll be a stud next year. Anyway, whatever the reasons, Yadier was there. I was lucky enough to get him earlier in the week, and uh, he had a huge week. So Four looking, homers, eight RBIs, dude. Yeah, I'm looking for more of the same, like 2,000 OPS. Yeah, 1.3 slugging. Like it Ridiculous. Was, it was dynamite. Um, I, I got crushed this week. I, I, won, I only won two games. but the, So I was in third. Then I was in fifth. Then I was in third. Yeah. So I'm in third going into the final week. Uh, I get two wins, eight losses, two ties in the week. The team 
behind me moves one game ahead of me. So now I'm in fourth. And the team behind me after that only won one game oh. this week. So I like I snuck, snuck. in barely. And yes. now I'm playing the number one team. So I, I finished a game out of being in third, which would put me against the second place team, which I just crushed earlier. Mm -hmm. Now I gotta taste face the the number one the team. The juggernaut. I'm up four, three, and five right now. So it's four wins, three losses, and five ties so far. It's 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 early. Yeah. Which I made a, a rookie mistake today. I uh, Some of my guys were locked in. Now, Max Muncy is hurt. He's he's not locked in. The Dodgers aren't playing yet. So that's going to hurt me, though. You know, he was really, really, but he's got a fractured wrist. Uh, so I've got to make some, um, you know, moves. And He's and just a quality middle-of-the-order bat. He is. He, he gets hits you home produces. runs. Yeah, he gets produces. your RBIs. Uh, so I don't know. The, the problem I have is Verlander throws that no-hitter yesterday. He's on my fantasy team. I don't get any bonus points for that. I, I emailed Jamie Thomas. I texted him. I'm like, dude, what's going on here? He's like, maybe you should try to put your your team in a position to win first. I'm yeah. like, you're just a dick, and I'm going to rip you on my other podcast. He joins me on the other podcast, Sports and More, for my fantasy guy. But, uh, you know, there should be some kind of no-hitter bonus in a league. You think so? I had Mania last year with the no-hitter. And, and I was, you got I was nothing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I got a lot of strikeouts. I would, like to see, I would like to see the National League pitchers hitting stats. You know, like when DeGrom goes yard, you should get that stat. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how this that would work within the fantasy world of fixing everything up, but you should get that out. little bonus. If you take some National League guys, you should get their hitting stats, but then you get their bad. Yeah, not every guy's going yard like no. Garner and those no. guys, right? Okay, so that's uh, kind of a look at fantasy baseball heading into the playoffs. Uh, you, you mentioned Yadier, Yadier Molina. If there's still leagues out there that you could still pick guys up, that would be a guy to uh, to obviously uh, look into. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 Jamie Thomas has called the team I'm playing the Atlanta Braves as our fantasy league because hmm. they choke all the time <laughs> in the playoffs. I'm hoping that comes true. Um, and then and and the the bonus is I have an extra pitcher this week uh, than him. Um, actually, I got two extra pitchers. So I got eight starts this week out of my pitchers. Yeah, so you have a chance at another a couple more wins, more strikeouts. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a young guy in San Diego, Andres Munoz. Um, he, he may or may not get some save opportunities. The guy's got some big-time stuff. He may be of, of value to someone that's looking to get an arm this week. Um, he, he He's a back-end guy. So Andres Munoz, San Diego Padres, with the Padres – you know, kind of being out of it, he may get some opportunities uh, that if they were in the race that they wouldn't afford him. He might be a sixth, seventh inning guy. They may look to see what he can do in the eighth and ninth inning just to build for next year. Uh, so that may be a guy that you want to take a peek on. Actually, I only have seven starts, but that's a good point. I, I've, the, my closers have not. I, I invested so much in my starters. I don't have the back end, but I got Thor going today and Syndergaard through. He got lit uh, up last week, eh, Thor? He's, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, through four innings, he's got seven strikeouts. All right. And the, uh, the Mets four? are up store and the Mets are up seven, nothing on the, uh, Nats. So Dang. off to a good start so far. So hope, uh, you have good luck. And for all our listeners out there that are in the midst of their fantasy playoffs, good luck to you. And hopefully we're talking about continuing the fantasy playoffs next week. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Barnes with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. 
It's time to build your all-time team. Okay, so what we're doing with all-time team today is uh, not listing your all-time positions, uh, as the intro mentioned, because we've already gone through that. Last week, we did the best double play combinations. Um, and uh, But we are still we still have winter banquet tickets uh, available. So uh, if you want to get in on uh, winter banquet tickets, uh, email, me, email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com with... The best battery, in your opinion, not talking about double A, triple A. Uh, we're talking about pitcher catcher <laughs> battery in major. Yeah, no D's in Major League Baseball. Uh, who is the best pitcher catcher uh, combination? Uh, email us at prospectsbaseballshow at uh, gmail dot com, and uh, we could uh, hopefully uh, get somebody in the mix for that situation. Uh, one, I, I just was going to uh, uh, throw out that uh, Jack Morris and Lance Parrish will not make uh, my list uh, for uh, some Tiger fan boy, that yeah. is uh, out there listening. But who are you going with for your best battery of all time? I got or? the best battery. It, it includes a personal catcher, and this is kind of this, this kind of started this whole personal catcher thing. Um, I've got Greg Maddox with Eddie Perez. Eddie Perez caught uh, 832 and the third innings of Greg Maddox in that four-year span, Dino. <laughs> Maddox was 75 and 29 with a 198 ERA, strikeout to walk seven, which if you had that on your fantasy of a seven with a guy that's logging 200 plus innings, you're laughing. He makes up for any other bad starts. Um, it, it was, and it just it just so happened that's an era like that was right in my wheelhouse era wise. Um, you know, TBS has Braves games all the time. Um, you watch the magician on the mound, and it was always Eddie Perez catching. And I'm sure it was more Greg Maddox than Eddie Perez that led to the uh, ridiculous numbers that, that Maddox put up, obviously. But um, kind of cool that Eddie Perez was the, the caddy for Maddox. You know, you got he had the best view of one of the greatest pitchers of all time just go to work and go to school. And, and to, to be able to, like, to, to – no, get on the same page. So he didn't start that way. Greg Maddox called his own games and it evolved into Maddox trusting Eddie Perez. For Eddie Perez to, you know, know exactly how the two seam runs back in and, and what pitch Greg Maddox wants to call here and, and how he wants to locate, what the location is, where it's going to end up. You know, all that is just, that's what's really cool about the game of baseball. There's all those little things that, that you know, when you become a super fan or a huge fan of the game, you, you, know, you start thinking about how important is that catcher-pitcher relationship? Well, it's a huge deal because when the pitcher has confidence in the guy he's throwing to, he's able to execute a little bit better. But to see the way Greg Maddox moved the baseball and to get to catch that for 800-plus innings, what a treat that must have been for Eddie. No doubt. Uh, I mentioned there'll be no Tigers, but yeah. uh, if you want a great Dodgers jersey or something, go mention, go see uh, Jack Cookson at uh, Pro Am Sports, and uh, he'll be happy to. <laughs> so he got uh, a great selection. Real, uh, you know, bring out all the Dodgers gear you can. Uh, but in all seriousness, if you want some good collectibles, that is uh, yeah. like if you ever that store, you walk in, awesome there, in there, it is gorgeous yeah. in there. It's like a a fan's dream, and and I'm sure he has lots of good Dodger stuff for the people that want it. I'm going with uh, Doc and the kid. Yeah. Dwight Gooden, Gary oh. Carter of the Mets, particularly that World Series season. Um, they, you know, just acquired Gary Carter, right? Uh, Doc Gooden um, was still uh, fairly, I think he was like 21 or something. 20, or 20 years old. He yeah, was 20, 20 years old. 24 and 4 with a 1.53 ERA 
that season. And right from the opening day, Carter, I think, hit three home runs. Gooden was uh, masterful. And, uh, you know, you look at Gary Carter's, uh, his numbers, 32 home runs, 100 RBIs, really paced them. And a veteran catcher. With a young guy. Guiding the young fireball pitcher. Yeah. Unfortunately, couldn't guide him off the field. And yeah. we all know what's uh, Dwight Gooden and, unfortunately, Daryl Strawberry. The problems they had, um, none of the least are that they Lenny end up. Lenny Dykstra. Lenny Dykstra, yeah. There's a few other guys there. Um, you know, so it, he, he, but he was able to guide Dwight Gooden in, you know, take the, all that raw power and, yeah. and put it in. So I look at Carter and Dwight Gooden as, uh, you know, one of the best batteries of, of well, all time, that's right? That's one of the greatest seasons ever on the mound. So, yeah. The, yeah, the catcher probably gets a little bit of, a little bit of play on that. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. When you talked about, uh, uh, you know, Greg Maddox kind of steering the ship in that relationship until they kind of got on par – with Carter and Gooden, it would have been the opposite. Yeah, it would have been, it's like, it would have been like uh, Bull Durham. I wonder if he called him meat, like <laughs> uh, like in uh, Nuke Lelouchin in, in Bull Durham, where, you know, Kevin Costner's character was molding this young pitcher. And that's a little bit what Gary Carter was doing with Dwight Gooden in, yep. in the uh, mid-80s. Okay, let's talk about pitching and catching a little bit uh, in uh, in uh, then versus now. Um you know, it's not like a whole bunch of pitches have been invented. You know, there's a lot more signals now than there certainly used to because you're trying to misdirect. There's a lot of misdirection and things like that. But the one thing that has changed is that analytics have given the catcher access to more information if he wants it. You know, it goes by team by team, right? There's a lot. There's still guys in baseball that that are just not going to have any of it. So if you're a catcher that wants information, it's there for you. Is that the the kind of the biggest change in in the 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 uh, relationship between the pitcher and the catcher? Yeah, I think they they have, they have data that can back up their instinctual feel on what's happening. I um, mean, you, you they'll have more precise information like two one changeups to this particular hitter are very valuable. Whereas they may feel that they may not know that he's hitting 098 over 31. Two one changeups that he's seen all year, and he'll swing at them. Like the, you can get a little bit more precise with the information that you that you're you're receiving. Uh, so for sure, I think that's helped the helped the pitcher catcher relationship navigate lineups. I think that's also part of the reason that batting averages have gone down. That is there is more information. Velocity going up is also part of that a little bit, but I. I don't think just velocity spike is why the averages. I think that yeah, guys have pitched hard for hundreds of years. Hitters, hitters adjust. They figure out a way to square up ninety eight, and you see guys hit bombs off the big, big power relievers. Um, and Verlander himself has given up a ton of home runs this year. Kershaw too. He doesn't give up a lot of runs. They're solo shots, but mm-hmm. he's given up thirty plus home runs. So uh, squaring it up is, is a little bit more difficult, but it can be done. I think it's the ability to know that. You know, the inner third of the plate, you can get him out in hitters counts, you know, versus, hey, we need to stay away from him in hitters counts. You know, you would have that information. So it's not just the feel of the catcher or the advanced scouts that are watching the game. I mean, you can go back and just chart all this stuff. So it's making it easier. Here's a quick uh, weird question, kind of off topic. I've sometimes heard pitchers say they'd rather give up a solo home run than uh back-to-back doubles uh yeah. that score a run is that just psychological yeah. because it's uh the, the the more hits feels like you're getting battered around whereas you give up the solo home run and strike out two it's not that bad i don't know yeah this uh there was this conversation on twitter this summer that, that i witnessed kind of happening on one of the people that i follow that the, the home runs a rally killer um <laughs> 
Which is, seems weird to it say. It does seem weird, but it's... But you know, in a way, it almost because it clears the bases, right? You get to get start over where if you just keep putting guys on base and you have to... Now, I think where that comes from for me is if I, if I feel or I notice as a coach or, or when I was playing that the pitcher has trouble dealing with runners on base, that he... That he from does, the stretch position, yeah, okay. that th- that's worse for him. That he doesn't execute his pitches as well. That he becomes he's out more of his flat. comfort zone almost. There's a right? Com- in that sense, hitting a home run does maybe spoil the rally. Gets back full and then settles back down. I'm not going to tell guys not to hit home runs. Let's put runs on the board. But there is, there is. It's crazy. It's just one of those things. Is there is something to that at times where he's like, yeah, you know, it would have been good just to keep guys getting on base. And the reason being is uh, the feeling behind that is. We're gonna keep scoring everyone that's getting on base. So and let's he's just throwing keep, more pitches. Let's just keep them rolling. Keep them right? rolling. Tire up the more pitches a yeah. guy throws naturally. He's gonna. So if if he if he throws uh, you know a, a lazy curve and it gets cranked out, that's one pitch. If he a guy hits a single and then another single and then a double and then what? Well, that's obviously more batters and 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 so you you the the more rallies you get, the longer the rally, the better. Obviously, not just for scoring runs, but. Tiring out your yep. opposing pitch. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, if you give up the solo shots, one pitch, he moves on and he and he clears his mind. Right. You know, now he's got to deal with the runners like we just talked mm-hmm. about. It, it, it's one of those weird things when you're in the moment. Is like you want to keep the merry-go-round going because it's fun. You want to keep their defense. It tires them out on the field. You know, your bench is gaining momentum and and fun energy and like this hitting's fun. We're kicking the crap out of the other team. So like, there's a lot of little things going on within that rally that that could be positive their pitch count maybe get into their bullpen there are some things attached to that again i'm not going to turn down the three run bomb and like hey we'll go play defense then we'll just take that but it's fun there's a part of it that that, that has a value that uh, you can't really measure good stuff man uh okay i really hope you guys get good news tomorrow uh i'll be uh, texting you every uh, yeah. 25 minutes <laughs> to uh, find out and uh yeah hopefully it's good news we can start moving forward and uh, we'll uh, chat next week, uh, whether it's good or bad, and uh, see what happens moving forward. Yeah. But uh, thanks to uh, John Short uh, for coming out and joining us on the program. Uh, told some really funny stories. And uh, I- I'm going to get John on uh, one of my other podcast sports and more as well. Have a great week. Uh, hopefully it's good news. We'll uh, chat next week. See you later, Dino. Thanks, man. Ban the <laughs> shift. It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game.